I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Although Black architects attain the same education, perform on the same project teams, and complete similar project types, historically their credentials are questioned and their work often goes unnoticed. We're here to change that. I'm Karen Burton. And I'm Sandra Little. And this is Hidden in Plain Sight, and that's spelled S-I-T-E. The podcast where the world can get to know the very significant contributions contemporary and trailblazing architects have made to the profession, the community, and major cities across the U.S. Noir Design Party, Sandra and Karen are back. With another episode of Hidden in Plain Sight, we are so excited that everyone is listening here in these wonderful and sometimes not so wonderful stories uh, from our Black architects. Um, We're focusing here right now on Detroit and hearing how everyone is, you know, just so in love with architecture. I think I want to say that. Uh, yeah. Everybody has their own personal take uh, and their love for the profession and love for their communities and the work that they're doing uh, here in Detroit and many times beyond the city of Detroit. I have to give a shout out to our our past interviewee so far. Mm-hmm. The sharing online and the comments that we've been getting back online is from them sharing their stories. Yes. Happy to give them voices and a platform. And it's been great, great uh, conversations around that. Appreciate all of the, uh, the support of the show. Like and subscribe. Yes. Like, 
subscribe and if you have if this is your first episode go back into and listen to some of the other ones yes because uh, they're all good we're not just saying that because we're the host <laughs> everybody has some great stories yeah um, so today we are talking with kimberly dokes kimberly is a registered architect and she is the founder and principal at dokes design architecture here in the city of detroit Kim is not from Detroit. She is born and raised in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Uh, and she is a graduate of Tuskegee University and their College of Architecture. She began her architectural career here in Detroit. And we'll let her tell you how she got here. Uh, and she started working for local design firms and then founded her own firm in 2009. Kim previously worked for Kramer Design and did a lot of adaptive reuse and worked on some hotels and other projects with them. But then with her own firm, she has worked on multifamily projects, K through 12 schools and higher education projects, some youth facilities and centers and some office renovations and projects. Uh, we talked with Kim uh, as part of our Live 6 panel discussion that we did uh, last year, back in November, I believe it was. Uh, it was Kim and Chase Cantrell for their project at the corner of McNichols and Prairie in Detroit, and then a couple other architects and developers who are also working on those two blocks along McNichols. Uh, in the Live 6 area. So Kim is doing some fantastic work across the city of Detroit. She just posted on her social media about a shipping container development that she's working on. She's doing some things with the Michigan Department of Transportation. Um, so Kim is doing some, again, some great work across Detroit. And we are excited to talk with her and talk about her journey from the D.C. area to Detroit. Kim and I have crossed paths so many times as uh, both as small business owners and entrepreneurs working together at other firms. We worked on the uh, North Terminal Airport together out at Detroit Metro Airport, uh, which is the terminal where all the other airlines besides Delta fly out of. <laughs> and, you know, that project spanned over four years. Uh, so work with her in that capacity. Then we both went out and charted the entrepreneurship trail together. And actually, both of us have went back and worked for majority firms. So I feel like it's a kindred spirit with entrepreneurs here with Kim and I. So our career um, has been inspiring. Um, that entrepreneurship bug is hard to give up. And she is right. showing that you can get back at it. So she's right. doing some great stuff now. Yeah. And um, Kim and I, were, I worked for her briefly, you know, when ah. she first started her firm. I think you recommended me for that, Sandra. So oh, okay. I did get to work with Kim on a couple small projects. So that was great. Yeah. So, so excited for everybody to hear about her today. Now, Kimberly Dokes. So today we have with us Kimberly and Dokes registered architect, a member of NOMA, NCARB, National Council of Architectural Registration Boards, 
and a licensed builder. Yes. I think I think Kim is the first licensed builder that we've had on, uh, who is also an architect, (laughs) architectural or or architectural designer, but also an architect. Uh, We are so happy to have you on with us today, founder and principal of Dokes Design Architecture, uh, located right here in the heart of Detroit. I think you have more than one location, correct? Uh, we do have sort of a satellite collaboration space in Royal Oak, but okay. most of our work happens in Detroit. In Detroit, right here at Space Lab Detroit. All right, plug. <laughs> it was great. Yes. <laughs> Get plug in there. Um, so, Kim, welcome. We want to hear all about your progress in architecture, your career in architecture, some of the work you've done. And we'll start off with a question that we ask just about everybody that we've interviewed uh, to tell us your Detroit story, because we know and people will learn that you are not from Detroit. Yeah, that is correct. So I am born and raised in the Washington, D.C. metro area. I came to Detroit because of a boy. Uh, I met a fine young man at my university. And we got married and had children and the rest is history, but I moved here to Michigan in that process. And I've spent my entire architecture career here in Michigan and in Detroit. So that is my story. I came here for the first time. I won't say the year because I'm not going to date myself, but um, I came here for the first time some years ago and uh, the city was definitely in a space where uh, redevelopment needed to happen. And I remember coming here for the first time thinking, wow, it's so different than the city that I grew up in, but it has so much potential. It's so beautiful. It's so much to do that could just revitalize it and just make it vibrant and make it beautiful, um, like what's happening today. So that story, that's sort of my initial Detroit story. Uh, so you said your uh, your university. So where did you uh, attend architecture school? I attended architecture school at Tuskegee University um, in Tuskegee, Alabama, and it was a great experience. I um, I had never been to the South before uh, going to Tuskegee, wow. so it was a place that my parents said, "Well, you're going to get away from the D.C. area and experience something new," and they just sort of shuffled me down there, and um, I wasn't sure if I was going to like it, but um, It was a really good experience, a very nurturing experience. I had really good professors who um, who guided me even when, you know, I probably wasn't the best student. They still encouraged me and kept me moving through the process and made sure I did the things that I need to do to be successful in the process. So it was a very good nurturing environment and I wouldn't trade the, the experience for anything. So what made you choose Tuskegee? Well, like I said, it was chosen for me, to be honest. Okay. My mother, whom I love to death, uh, she was really involved in just my application processes to college. And um, I remember taking a tour of uh, Virginia Tech University. And uh, when I went there, I really, really liked their architecture department. Uh, And it was beautiful, number one. The professors seemed really nice. The tour that they gave me was great. And I I was, you know, kind of really wanting to go there. Um, but my mother kind of took a look at it and took a some, look at some other architecture programs, filled out some applications, and somehow Virginia Tech wasn't a part of that application process. So I asked her to this day, what happened to my Virginia Tech application? 
but um, I'm very happy with how it turned out. So no regrets, no regrets. Okay. What made you want to become an architect? So um, I, I was heavily influenced by actually my dad and my family. My father was a sheet metal worker by trade in the D.C. area. Uh, he worked for the architect of the Capitol and worked for the government most of his career. Um, but he also had this really strong entrepreneurial spirit. And um, when he was laid off or not working for the government because they didn't have any projects for him to work on, he would work uh, his home improvements business where he would work at in, in homes and rebuilding spaces and renovating spaces and residential spaces. And um, he would take me around to some of his clients and show me some of his work. And I just became really you know, intrigued about the whole transformation process. And I think what, you know, what was one thing that sealed the deal for me is uh, the house that I grew up with, we had a covered carport and he turned this carport into a very beautiful family room entertainment space. And I literally watched that process happen because we were living there when it happened. I mean, busting holes in the walls and picking out furniture and building things. It was really, 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 really awesome to witness. So I think that that he he just really had a strong influence on me in that way. I have that a little bit. Actually, Karen and I both had a little thing where we follow our fathers and it kind of got us uh, interested in architecture as well. But my dad, it was like, you know, installing like phone jacks in the house, new outlets. We be, I just followed him around the house doing those home improvement projects. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I do remember my dad introducing me to probably the only Black architect that I was introduced to during my high school career. He was working with a gentleman. He was a Black gentleman. I can't remember his name. I think it was David. Um, he introduced me to him and he was an architect and um, he used to talk to me. And, 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 you know, so that was really cool too. He was exposed to all these different tradespeople and designers and he introduced me to who he could to help seal that process. That's amazing. Because I mean, cool. the other thing you mentioned too was uh, your dad working for the architect of the Capitol. And, right. And I don't think I've heard about that until I got later in my career that there was actually uh, an architect that, you know, an office that ran the whole kind of process of architecture in, in D.C. area. So that that's pretty cool that you had that exposure. I mean, that's that's some of us hadn't gotten that until we get into college versus, you know, or after. Uh, yeah. uh, so that's that's <laughs> exactly. that. Yeah. Yes. It was, you know, the, the D.C. area within itself helped me and ins helped inspire my career as well, because there's just so much beautiful monumental and federal building architecture there that you know, that also inspired me as well. I see the radio plan of Detroit and it, and it, you know, it mimics in a small way some of the things with D.C. But I have to say that D.C. does a great job of framing buildings at the end of a corridor or a street. When you look <laughs> down there, I'm like, that is so cool. Yeah, uh, I can only see that in the Fisher building when you're downtown and looking towards the north a little bit. But yeah, a lot of them don't have it as, as well. But they, I see the similarities. I don't know if you see it as well. No, I do. Definitely. You know, there's, you know, there's some neoclassic, you know, Romanesque revival in every city, I think. So it sort of mimics, you know, all of those European styles in some way. Do you think going to an HPCU changed or helped uh, your your career in architecture? I, I, you know, we have a statistic that um, there's a larger number of HPCU grads that are NOMA members and that have become, you know, licensed uh, architects. How do you feel about that experience and how it affected your career? Uh, it definitely helped my career. We, I had a professor, Major Holland. He uh, had an architectural practice in Tuskegee, and he taught at the university when he wasn't practicing. 
So we had access to him and he we were exposed to him and he would tell us about his project. So I had a tangible person in front of me who was actually doing architecture and could give us experiences and, you know, about what it was like to be a practice owner. So that was awesome. On top of the fact that um, you have Booker T. Washington, who started the university in 1881 and had the students build all the buildings, you know, one of which uh, I think the architecture building was one of those buildings. So, you know, you, you have all this history around you and, and, and it, it does inspire you to want to make the best of your career and, and get the best out of it. You know, I couldn't imagine going to Tuskegee, graduating and not pursuing the license. It's just it just couldn't happen because we just aim for, you know, the best we can get out of it. That's what we were taught. Yeah, being surrounded by uh, history and legacy of, of black architects and designers. And uh, yeah, that that I mean, I. I am trying to go to Tuskegee just to see the campus. I haven't been there yet. Oh, um, man. Oh, so, yeah, so it's a, it's a goal to take my son there. I haven't seen it either. I would love to. Right, right. And it's like, yeah. I can't even imagine. Um, I'm just hearing about Tuskegee. I, you know, um, Dr. Kwesi Daniels, who's the head of School of Architecture now, is mm-hmm. a board member with NOMA. And just to hear him talk about the program and how they're taking the historical preservation piece of that and turning it into you know, inspiring technology. It's just, it, it made me want to go. I'm like, oh my goodness, all of this rich history and legacy. And it, mm-hmm. I guess it hit that history bug for me. I, I mean, that's just inspiring just hearing to you, you've been on that campus and lived it and how it was an inspiration to you. And I think you're the first HBCU grad we've interviewed oh, uh, on the so. whole, on the whole podcast so far. So um it's just right it's just good to hear the perspective too right it really makes a difference because you know when you get in the profession you almost you know it's like it's almost the complete opposite right so to have some kind of foundation almost to to build from yeah it is it is definitely it was definitely a great experience i i can't imagine it being any different you know maybe because i went through it but it was just it was the best experience i can't imagine it being any different so do you have any uh, uh, role models or mentors that maybe came from your school experience or beyond school that you still kind of help you towards your career and that you contact now? Yes, absolutely. I have, um, since I uh, graduated and moved to Michigan, I've worked with and met some really great and talented architectural professionals. When I first moved here, I did work for a majority owned firm in Saginaw, it's 25 people, very small. They were very nice to me, gave me very good out of school training. Um, But ultimately, because my husband's job changed, we had to move closer to the city. And I started working for Sharon Madison. And she gave me some really great um, exposure and experience to projects. I worked with a great um, architect there who gave me a lot of good advice and training experience um, as I worked on projects at Sharon Madison's office. And, um, And she has always been encouraging and gave me opportunities to uh, to grow. She's definitely one. Uh, I worked with another young architect who no longer lives here. His name is Kerry Demas, and uh, he and I are, are really close. And you know, he was very encouraging to me and helped me, just directed me in any way that I needed to to support me getting licensed. And I love Kerry to this day. Best. I, I have to say, if you have a contact for Kerry, we've been looking for him. So let me know. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That was in California. Where he's yeah. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years, but he's in California and he's I know he's working for the school board there and doing a lot of great school work. So 
Yeah. All right, Carrie Demis, if you're listening to this episode, we're looking to interview you, contact us. Exactly. <laughs> so, Kim, what were um, some of the first projects that you worked on when you came to Detroit? So I did a lot of work with DPS schools when I came to Detroit, um, which is all great experience. I worked on McFarland Elementary School, a few other elementary schools, a recreation center, um, and working with, in Rainey Hamilton's office. That was really fun. Uh, the Youth Build Detroit, I think it's a different name now, but um, it was a, a good building conversion for the youth, uh, youth recreation. So that was great. I worked on the North Terminal Project at the airport, which is now the Evans Terminal. But um, that was a great project. And I got to experience both sides of the coin for that project, meaning just um, working as a designer on the project and then um, flipping to the side of project management. So that was a great experience because I literally got to experience that project from a sketch on a piece of paper until it was completely constructed and complete. So that was that was a great experience. I met a lot of great people working on that project. Yeah, that was our second project working on together. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the North Terminal. Yeah, yeah. It was. Those are fun projects. Yeah, oh. it was a lot of firms involved. You know, we had uh, Hamilton Anderson, Gensler, Gafari yeah. um, on the architectural side. Then you went to what, HNTB? Yeah, I went to HNTB and uh, did some project management with them for the project. And that was a great experience. And and it's so odd. I was... um. HNTB at that time didn't have an architectural office here in Detroit, which I don't think they still do. They do engineering here. So I was technically employed by the office in D.C. because they had an architecture office in D.C. So I went there a couple of times and worked in their office. So that was kind of cool, too. <laughs> you got a chance to go home and work at the same time. That's right. cool. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of cool. <laughs> so what other projects uh, have you been working on lately? So lately, oh boy, there's a there's a list. Um, and we we just had a team meeting where that list has like 25 plus projects on it. So I'll try to remember some of the fun ones. Um, but a really cool project that we worked on in 2021, I believe, um, was we did a library renovation project for Barber Preparatory Academy in Highland Park. Mm-hmm. And that was such a fun project, just being able to create a space that inspires kids to learn. It was a really transformational project because I don't think the build the the space had ever been renovated. So when you walked into it, it was kind of like a 1970 time capsule, and uh, we really turned it into a nice modern space for the kids to come in and learn. We put smart boards up, gave them nice lounge areas to read and learn and create. Um, so it, it was really a fun project, and, and and it's cool to open up their website and see kind of our work in the background because they took their photos you know, within that space and see the kids using the space and teachers teaching the kids in the space. So that was a that was a really fun project. I enjoyed that project. So it seems, um, you know, you did the library project at Barber. Um, you've also done um, or you're working on the Boys and Girls Club of Southeastern Michigan. Yeah, that is. Too. Yeah, I do a lot of work with um, Sean Wilson, who is the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Southeastern Michigan. And he has a great vision for the Boys and Girls Club. Um, he doesn't want it just to be kind of a, um, you know, a drop off and kick the ball around kind of space. He wants to be able to teach the kids new and modern skills. And he wants to create spaces that kind of goes along with that vision and that program. So he calls us when he's looking for some creative vision to take space and turn it into some type of training uh, space for the kids, whether it's learning how to cut hair or learning how to be a barista in the cafe or, you know, just he has all kinds of great 
visions that he he has for the children. And we we accommodate those spaces for him and we have a great time doing it. The last spaces that we've created for him was uh, esports lounges in the Boys and Girls Club. So we created oh, wow. three esports lounges in three different Boys and Girls Club facilities. And uh, that was fun because the kids love that stuff. <laughs> right. Do you see this as kind of a sweet spot for you? Educational spaces, educational and recreational spaces for kids, youth and teens? I don't know if it's the sweet spot, but it's definitely an enjoyable spot. (laughs) We will take those projects all day. Um, Our sweet spot is becoming multifamily, actually. We've done a lot of those types of projects right now, uh, new Mm -hmm. construction multifamily. And, you know, the more of them you do, the more you learn, you know, the more um, standards and prototypes you put into place to make them work more efficiently. So we're doing a lot of that type of work, which is fun. So we're doing that, too working with a lot of um, new and young developers in Detroit on these projects. And that's that's great, too, because now in the role that I am now as an entrepreneur, you know, there's a lot of things that make projects fun and the best projects. And it's the client group. It's the type of project that you're working on. So all of those are factors now. I agree. Right. Like you said, when you were your firm owner, which we'll go into that in a minute, you know, it's a different experience. But I mean, you've been able to. uh go between working for the client multiple times and being the client or, or the owner's rep. Um, so back uh, in what was it, 2010, I think, um, you did the same thing for Detroit Public Schools mm-hmm. when you were able to you know, work for the owner's rep team and help them execute a bond, a series of bond, uh, projects under a bond. Mm-hmm. And really, like I said, the same thing. You were uh, in that learning space environment uh, and understanding how to almost, like you said, communicate with the client needs to a larger architectural audience. It seemed like it's something there. Yeah, I think it is something there. I do enjoy project management. And it's interesting that you bring that up because our firm is collaborating with Clint Moran Cressa right now for owner's representation for Detroit public schools currently, district community. So we are kind of back in that role again, happily. And um, we're great. We love working with uh, DPSCD and learning what their visions are for the schools and the facilities and helping them execute that vision. So it definitely is all design management work and design oversight work. And, and, and I enjoy that work, too, because you come into contact, like we talked about earlier, with so many different people when you're on uh, the side of owner's representation. You have to interact with the client. You have to interact with stakeholders. You have to interact with you know, design professionals and contractors. So you get to touch a little bit of everybody and you get to touch the community too, because, you know, we want to inform them what we're working on. So you get to interact with the user group. So those projects are always fun as well. So I enjoy them. You know, earlier in your career, you started out working for a majority firm owner. Uh, you went to, I think about a series of minority firms and then your own firm. Can you tell us a little bit about that path on your professional side? Oh, boy. So um, the firms that I've worked for, like you said, I, I gained great experience from all of them, all kinds of experiences. I enjoyed working for uh, Sharon Madison. I enjoyed working for Rainey Hamilton. Um, I enjoyed working for Wigan Tickner Meyer, which was the firm in Saginaw. I enjoyed working for HNTB, gave me that corporate experience that you know I desired as well in my career. So what made me, however, uh, turn to entrepreneurship is a couple things. One, 
again, going back to my dad, he, although he worked for the architect of the Capitol, he had a desire to work his own business 24-7. That's what he wanted to do. Um, and he enjoyed entrepreneurship and he was always so excited about it that it gave me a drive to ultimately want to practice on my own. So um, when my when I had my first child and um, I started experiencing the responsibilities of motherhood, and then 24 months later, I had another child. <laughs> uh, I kind of am. I had a traveling husband. Mm. And I started getting stressed out and burnt out. I came to the conclusion that I needed more flexibility for myself and for my children. So um, I decided to kind of take a break after the airport project with HMTV. And when I decided to take that break, I said, well, this is the perfect time for me to start the LLC for Dokes Design. And, and also, when I finished that project, it was 2008, the market was crashing. So I don't know yeah, why I decided to do it then, but I did. <laughs> and um, so my, my initial reason for starting the LLC was really to have flexibility for my children. But I had some really good luck in that. About three months later, I did some networking. And that's when our company had its first contract or uh, owner's representative contract with uh, DPS. So I had some good luck right out the gate. And I sort of used that as a catalyst to do other projects. But the one thing that, um, you know, this thing ebbs and flows. And I realized that when I first started it, it was not necessarily with a business plan in mind. It was really to have flexibility for my kids. So once the DPS project was over, which was about three, three and a half years later, I had done other small projects. Um, and those were projects that people really just gave me because I was doing architecture, not because I was going out and doing business development and building a plan. I wasn't doing any of that. I was just really taking care of the kids and, and working uh, flexibly. So ultimately, all those projects went away and you kind of look around and say, okay, well, what am I going to do next? <laughs> so right. my husband said, well, you're going to have to you know, either make a decision to put both feet in the water with the business, get business loans, get a space, hire staff. And that just terrified me. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. So I decided to go back to work. And that was in 2014. And I went back to work for Kramer Design Group. And I really went there with the intentions of, you know, saying, hey, I could, you know, this is an opportunity where I could grow and maybe be partner and, you know, do it that way. Um, but then after being there for a year, I realized that th that was not necessarily the way I was meant to work. And um, I really enjoyed it, though. I stayed there almost five years because I really enjoyed the people that I was working with. I enjoyed the projects. I was gaining some really good experience there. So, um, But ultimately, I had clients calling me back, asking me to do work. And I realized, you know, I, I really do ultimately want to just be an entrepreneur and do this thing and practice this thing the way I want to and work with the kinds of people I want to. So I ended up leaving Kramer in 2019, March 1st, 2019. And I have been literally busy for eight to 12 hours a day since that day. <laughs> it wow. just wow. hasn't stopped, which is, is just, which is great. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm happy for it. And I just, I couldn't ask for anything more. It's like entrepreneurship, right? It's just, it's almost like an organism, right? It, it, it's like, it, and like I said, it grows with you. It shrinks with you. I mean, you, uh, it becomes a part of you, right? Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Uh, I did something similar when I started my business. It was like I had to, you know, I had kids, but I also had to take on the role as caregiver to my parents. Mm -hmm. And that 
you know, that was like, okay, I can have flexibility to, you know, if I need to take off in the middle of the day to go take my mom or dad to the doctor, I had that as well, let alone, you know, the, the normal things happen with kids. And it's, it's harder to navigate that in mm-hmm. traditional architectural practice. It's some firms, it's like, they don't even offer flexibility of doing 32 hours or different things like that. Mm-hmm. There are some out there, but it's not a lot. Uh, so that, you know, that gives you that uh, flexibility, the, you know, I think the pandemic has just changed the way architectural firms look at things. Work from home before in an architecture firm? I don't that think so. No, no. Right. <laughs> right. Traditionally, we were doing architecture firms would almost require you to stay later and, you know, work long hours. So right. entrepreneurship and starting your own firm was the answer for a lot of women and, well, and a lot of men, too, that wanted to be closer to home. Yeah. Absolutely. And it has changed how we do things for sure. And like we, we have the technology that allows that, but I still believe that there's value in collaboration face-to-face. Oh, definitely. <laughs> but, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Right. The workspace has definitely changed. Yes. Yes. I, don't, I mean, uh, you know, you have to consider young architects coming along and like you said, all of that experience that you learned in the office, uh, you know, just overhearing conversations, you got to, you know, make sure you still give up and coming architects that same exposure. Uh, Having somebody stand over your shoulder. <laughs> I don't know if I ever had that. Wow. Right. Yeah. That, those were the experiences we wanted to avoid. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, oh, okay. You're still there. No, no, I haven't right. had that. I've I'm seen, sorry. I've seen people had them, someone standing over them. I was like, I don't want to be that person. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, okay. happened. That's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it is, it is, uh, it is a lot to be learned, and and I think we are still going to progress as a profession with you know hybrid work and doing things in both, right? Collaborative and virtual. Just interested in, in how fast things are changing nowadays. I hate to say, like I say, if you date yourself, how fast it's been since we've been out of college to oh. technology and what's happened to now. That's mm-hmm. just been super fast, and, and like I said, we date ourselves when we say that, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's I'm just interested. Experience. That's experience. That's just good experience. That's exactly. All. <laughs> exactly. Wisdom is key. Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability. Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin shaping our collective future. In the work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, They've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to, we have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past, and guidepost for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, 
race, and gender. Today's Detroit City of Design Spotlight. We are looking at all the great adaptive reuse projects that are in the city of Detroit uh, centered around hospitality and taking some of the great building stock that is within our city that was abandoned over a decade or two ago. Great buildings. Um, We had buildings like the David Whitney Building, which was designed by Daniel Burnham and Company. Great classic, uh, neoclassic architecture uh, that was a formal office building. Great center courtyard to this building. This is right off of uh, Grand Serpent Park in Woodward downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason we're kind of showcasing these types of projects is this is kind of where Kim spent a lot of her time uh, working in a firm, a Kramer Design Group that has done a lot of these projects in downtown Detroit. So this project is now the Aloft Hotels. Also has some private condos on the upper level and some of the best views down Woodward Avenue into Detroit downtown. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to believe that these buildings were abandoned, right? And then now that they are bustling with this new hotel hospitality in- industry, it looks like it never skipped a beat. Uh, it, it put these great iconic buildings right back into play. Yeah, you can walk down the street right by the David Whitney building and see the wonderful galleries that have popped up there. Some for you know longer periods of time than others, but the lobby is beautiful and, and the meeting rooms and everything are great there. Uh, another hotel that the Kramer Design Group worked on was the Shinola Hotel at the corner of Woodward and Grand River. Yeah, they call those all the necklace streets, right? Yes, come the across necklace the streets downtown. <laughs> so the Shinola Hotel is named for the manufacturing company that designs watches and bags and leather goods and um, those types of things uh, here in Detroit, designs and manufactures. The original building was designed by Work Rowland, Uh, who was also the architect for the Guardian building with the beautiful interior and exterior uh, here in downtown Detroit. And he was also the architect for the Penobscot building, both skyscraper office buildings in downtown Detroit. Um, So the the Shinola Hotel has this interior mid-century modern feel. Um, I've only been there for a conference and meetings. Uh, So I've not experienced... Great event spaces in there. Yeah, the event spaces are beautiful. The garden terrace is beautiful. Um, But I've not experienced the rooms or the hotel lobby yet. So I'm waiting to... I'm ready to get over there. Right, I'm ready to... So like Karen and I talk about this all the time. It's like all these hotels that we're talking about. We almost want... We live in Detroit, right? And we want to come down here and almost like stay for a weekend's and, and just enjoy downtown and, and enjoying these high-end boutique hotels that are popped up. Right. Every time there's a festival, we say, we're going to stay at such and such a hotel and enjoy it, but we haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah. So that's on our bucket list to even stay at the places that we're telling you about. They're right, just that great. Right. And the Shinola Hotel, I hear, is full with merchandise, right? So since they're a manufacturer, mm-hmm. you can get the robes and record players are in the room that are produced by Shinola. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole night, it's a whole experience wrapped around their brand and their Shinola stores across the country. So check it out. That's a Detroit-based business. Right, right. 
So another group of hotels that the firm that I'm with now, Quinn Evans, worked on is the Siren Hotel, which was the old uh, Wurlitzscher Piano office building. And that uh, building has been um, adaptively used into the Siren Hotel. Great views as well. Uh, this is closer to the Detroit Opera House and great venues inside of this building. Everybody talks about the candy bar that's in there. It's a great bar that is... Can't that wait is, to get there. Yeah, and that's another one I haven't experienced. I've actually, uh, like I said, I went in there and I had coworkers coming from out of town that were staying there and I still didn't get a chance to uh, experience the bar. I've definitely been to the bar um, on the hotel adjacent to this. So the one that's next to this is the Element Hotel at Metropolitan. This is also a Quinn Evans project, uh, adaptive reuse. The architect for this building originally uh, was Westing and Ellington. And Quinn Evans transformed this building that was pretty much near. You know, they were about to tear it down. They were about to tear it down. I hate mm -hmm. to say it. They were about to tear it. They, they were about to demo this building. And you have to go online and see the before and after shots of this building. There's been a number of uh, entities, including Curb Detroit, that have done before and afters. And you will see the, the passion that we have for these new hospitality venues in our city is based on how far we've seen our city come. So mm -hmm. this is our sense of just loving the, the pride and everything that's happened within the city of Detroit. So the rooftop club that's on the top of this one is called the Monarch Club. Voted Pure Michigan is one of the best spots to come see uh, when you visit the state of Michigan. So definitely high on the bucket list. That's mm -hmm. a place you should go visit. And there's another hotel nearby, Sandra, 139 Cadillac, that you worked on some years ago. Yes, I worked on the 139 Cadillac, which is now the Sandra Hotel uh, at Randolph. Sounds uh, like Sandra Hotel, but it's not Sandra. <laughs> it's <laughs> Sandra, not Sandra. So it's really cool. We actually didn't design the project. And this was one of the first projects that actually brought me to Quinn Evans. We teamed together with Quinn Evans on this project. And we, our firm ended up coming over to, to, to their office and uh, saw the construction finish up over there. But it was designed for multifamily. We had 45 uh, units in this former office building turned to hotel. And they had Sondra came in and they have extended stay. They was like, yeah, we love it. The kitchens and everything. Let's just lease out the whole building. So it's great for the owner who developed it. Uh, and you can actually stay there as well. Great views looking in the heart of downtown uh, and very close to the riverfront. Mm -hmm. Right near um, Campus Marshes, too, where a lot of activity ha uh, yeah. happens downtown. Another one of our spots we want to go to uh, to watch what the Jazz Festival. The Jazz is right near one of the uh, the main stages Stage. for the Detroit yeah. Jazz Festival. So we keep saying we're going to do that every year. And we have not it's done Labor that, Day weekend. You can put it on your bucket list. Right. Too. Right. <laughs> And then we'll wrap up just with um, some of our bed and breakfast here in Detroit. The most well-known place for bed and breakfast is in the Brush Park area on Ferry Street. Uh, and I think uh, the inn on Ferry Street is one that people talk about most often. But there is a new one or a newer uh, bed and breakfast called the Cochran House, founded and owned by Roderica and Francina James, they are sisters, who are sisters, <laughs> yes. uh, that own uh, this bed and breakfast. Um, so there's been a lot of uh, write-ups on them in travel websites and magazines. 
So you might want to check them out, the Cochran House. There's so many spots here. Like I said, we're sellers of Detroit. We're, we're beating you over the head with Detroit. We're beating you over the head with Michigan, but... We're wrapping you with love about Detroit. <laughs> All right, wrapping you with love. I love that. And there's just so many spots you could come stay. So so many great things to see here. We actually show our love by just telling you all of these great locations. Right. And then the design effort that it takes to put these buildings back online. You will see and love that uh, feel as well as we do after you come take a look. Yeah. Well, come join us at the jazz, the free Detroit oh, Jazz Festival, the largest free jazz festival in the world, I believe. With like uh, you four, don't want to four to five that. stages. Yes. And, and then you can stay at all these luxury hotels we're telling you about. Right. So yeah, come come join. My favorite time of year. So come join us. Now back to Kimberly Dokes. So now that you are in your your second wave of your your firm and you have learned a lot and you have experience, you know, do you have any uh kind of words of wisdom that you would give to future generation and, and especially uh since our podcast fo- focuses on black designers and architects uh, i think my words of wisdom would be to be open to all aspects of architecture meaning that a lot of times we'll go to school uh we'll go to architecture school with a one track thought of it being this really creative artsy sort of career and from my experience, it's really more about building sciences than it is about, you know, creativity. I mean, creativity is important in architecture, of course, but um, it's really important to understand how a building goes together and how to keep the elements and the climates out of that. And that's really science. So, um, you know, be well-rounded in your creativity, in your artistic abilities, but also be well-rounded in your technical skill. You know, don't be afraid mm. to learn the technical aspects of architecture, how buildings go together, wall assemblies, foundations, structures. Don't be afraid of, of, of those things. Uh, be well-rounded in all of those things because that makes you a valuable architect. Do you have any obstacles that you may have encountered throughout your career? Um, obstacles, uh, I think I've definitely been challenged in different work environments. You know, whether that's a scenario where you don't feel like your value is being felt or you have coworkers who challenge you in some way and just being able to have the voice to communicate effectively, you know, in those scenarios. I think those have been my challenges, but I would say for the most part, I feel like I've had really good experiences in most places that I've been. But, you know, you can't go through the career without um, having those kinds of challenges that help you help you to grow. So I've certainly had those. And you just have to persevere through them, communicate effectively uh, what you need to talk to someone, whether it's a problem solving scenario or some kind of conflict resolution. Those things will always be there. So um, it's important to know how to do that. Yeah, I don't know if uh, if I thought about it like that, coming to school, out into the profession that I really came to the profession, like thinking about the, the creative part of it, right? Not that I'm gonna have to have like I said, problem solving skills on paper, yes, but in the workplace as well. Mm-hmm. And then how those problem solving skills have to relate to the fact that I'm a black woman as well. Mm-hmm. And I come against different problems than other people come against. I didn't expect that when I started the profession. I'm not sure if you had the 
same experience uh, and coming into the workplace? Um, again, I definitely think that, you know, people will take a look at you and have a perception and feel like they need to put you in some sort of box. So I did experience that. I mean, I didn't expect to because for me, I, I grew up and went to school in an 80 percent, 83 percent black community in high school. And then I went to an HBCU. I don't know if they necessarily prepared me for the diversity I would have to face out in the workplace. Right, right. Um, so, again, but luckily I had a good, solid family upbringing who taught me that I was who I was and to be confident in myself, to be able to get through certain kinds of situations. And, and you know, and just one thing that I'm thinking about, and I think the two of you may have heard the story before. When I moved here and started interviewing for jobs, I interviewed at a firm, I think it was in Flint. I can't remember at this point. But um, the interviewers had me come in. We had a great interview dialogue. And they said, um, okay, at the, end of, in the, at the end of the interview, they said, well, we'd love for you to take you know, a CAD exam just to see what your skill level is like. Um, but also, too, I just want you to know that we don't pay our interns any money. We expect them to live at home with their parents. Wow. They weren't going to pay you for working? I think that's what they were trying to pull off. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. I wonder how that works. And yeah, how does that work? I mean, if I weren't who I was, is, is that what you would do? You know, if I weren't a black woman, is that is that how you would treat everybody else? I don't. I just didn't believe that that was the case. They said, "Yeah, we expect you, you know, to live at home with your parents." And I said, "Well, um, I'm engaged." Uh, and I have a home and I need a job that paid. And yeah, people weren't re- working remote back then because you would have had to had a long commute. You know, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and um, so that was an interesting experience. And wow. I, said, I don't believe that they, they would have treated me that way if I, I weren't black. I, I'm just going to say it. But um, after that, he said, well, that doesn't work for you. But do you still want to take the CAD test? And, you know, of course, my first thought was to say no and leave. But I took the CAD test because I just wanted to show them that I was a qualified candidate mm-hmm. and what they were missing out on. And so I completed the CAD test and I did it perfectly. And they were over my shoulder watching while I was doing, walking back and forth. And, you know, they looked at it at the end. And I'm sure they thought, wow, this is someone we're missing out on. But I said, well, thank you. Wow. And thank you <laughs> and goodbye. Exactly. Wow. Ever. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, wow. I, I can't say I ever had a job offer for uh for no pay. Wow. That is just mind blowing. I, I don't think you told me that story before. Kim. No, I think <laughs> I heard that one either. Yeah. I had low pay, but not no pay. Right. <laughs> so we pay our interns. What do you, what, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. It's a tough, sometimes tough pathway through architecture. You, I mean, you do hear about some of the stark, stark architects that were doing that, but not local firms. I, I don't know. No. But, uh, yeah. yeah. It's tough. <laughs> Culture has changed. I have glad, I'm glad to say that. Absolutely. <laughs> so going from that to being named one of Crane's Detroit businesses 2020, that was in 2020, Notable Women in Architecture. Yes. <laughs> so that was a fantastic recognition for you. Uh, and Sandra was recognized that same year. Absolutely. But, uh, congratulations on that. Well, we actually have, what, three women of design in, uh, in 
and construction. It was design and construction, the second cohort. Yes. Yeah, it's like right. a lot right. of awesomeness on this uh, podcast here today. Right. Yes. <laughs> All of you ladies are great. <laughs> Inspiring. Right. I just wanted to sprinkle that in there, though, Kim, because, you know, somebody asking you to work for no pay and now you are (laughs) you are the star. (laughs) I appreciate that acknowledgement. (laughs) A good candidate. That's sure. (laughs) Just like give people their flowers while they here. Uh, Right. right. Exactly. And then I want to go to to your um, builder's license. Well, you said your dad was a sheet metal worker and he worked for the architect of the Capitol. Did that have anything to do with you getting your builder's license or? So the reason I uh, obtained the builder's license is at one point in time, I was considering doing like a demolition business or some type of trade business, which I still haven't abandoned. Um, I don't use the the builder's license too much because I'm too busy using the architecture license, but um, but hope to, you know, use that in the future and and get in that lane and, you know, cause we, we need a lot of uh, skilled uh, tradespeople in our industry now. So it'd be great if I could help facilitate some of that. That could link back to the learning practice stuff you've been doing mm-hmm. as well. I can see all that connected. <laughs> right. Right. I think I like teaching people. <laughs> you can ask me. I don't know. <laughs> so much wisdom. That's why. <laughs> so, I think one of the things that we have not talked about on our podcast so far is something that we definitely with our project Noir Design Party brought to the forefront when we did our um, Design 139 talk. What was that 2019, right? 2019, right? Yeah. yes. Uh, the last month of design that we had in person before uh, everything shut down. And uh, we had a women in architecture panel, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, we look at these numbers on the big scale of, you know, whole United States and how many licensed black African-American women they are. But when you drill that down to a state level, you know, you really start to see uh, a lot of things that are going on and that we have, you know, was it 14 now licensed African-American women in the state of Michigan? Yeah. Uh, how, did, how did you feel? And did you know that before we had the panel and we were talking about that? How did you feel when you saw that number? No, I didn't know that. I don't think. And that number is really amazing. Um, we are a very small group. And and I did not know that when I decided to go to architecture school, right. you know, I had no idea what those statistics were. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and, and I don't think it was till I graduated really and started working that I realized, wow, there really is not many Black women in this profession. Uh, I remember uh, during my first job out of school, I was at home one day and I had an Ebony magazine sitting on the floor and I was reading my Ebony magazine and I get to an article about a black woman architect and I started to read it like, wow, here's a black woman architect. And then I came to realize that it was Beverly Hannah who was Mm -hmm. practicing out of Detroit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I must find this woman (laughs) at some point. So, you know, so a lot of people love that that article. They said it impacted them a lot. Yeah, it did. So, you know, it, it it's it's amazing to come full circle because Beverly and I are actually getting ready to collaborate on the project. So that's really cool. cool. But um, wow, I, did, I didn't know the yeah, but I didn't know those stats. And you know, we have to do our part to expose you know our children to 
architecture and design and get them excited about it because it's important that their voice and their visions and their thoughts and their creativity is a part of the built environment. Uh, everybody sees things different. Everybody has a different perspective. And that definitely should be curated within the built environment. Right. Most Everybody's, definitely. yeah, I always talk about diversity in a profession, but it really means, like you said, diverse thought and diverse design input. Uh, it is about color, but it is also about experience, right? We all mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. almost like, like I said, we almost live in parallel universes when we come through our lives. You know, it's like you can come all the way through elementary junior high school, high school, and you may start to, you know, diverse yourself when you get into the college level, but it's a long time that you're in this parallel universe that you're really not crossing over and getting that diversity mix. Right. And, and that's because of how the planning literally of early United States <laughs> history has been. So mm-hmm. uh, it makes a difference now that, like you said, now, not only do you have, uh, you know, 14 in the state, then you have those those women start to collaborate on projects and it it makes a great, great impact. Like you and I have collaborated on projects in the past and yes. it's just something that you never expect or experience, but it's like, it's a great feeling. It's a great, uh, you feel like you're making a change in your community. Exactly. So we have to continue to push that mantra and continue to work together and make mm-hmm. great space. <laughs> a change in the community and a change in the profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, Sandra and I are still kicking ourselves that we didn't get a recording of that uh, design 139 with the mm-hmm. black women in architecture. So we're going to have to recreate it. Yeah, that was that good. was a, an outstanding discussion. Yeah, that was definitely a good one. Yeah, it was some people's first time still meeting Beverly Hannah. That kind of blew me away. You know, that uh, actually, you know, right. It's like people are in the room like, yeah, I've heard of you, but I have never mm-hmm. met you. And, right. and to have that, you know, as we get off the stage and was talking afterwards it was very powerful uh that even though we are all in Michigan and practicing you know we still hadn't ran into each other you go to work every day and you come home and we still hadn't crossed paths right uh right, uh, right. so it was it was really mm-hmm. powerful and I would yeah definitely love to do we, we we learned a lot though we love to do that over again but we learned by the time we did our second salon with the 139 we recorded that one so right. <laughs> we learned we learned that we could ask for the recording right right, right. right. So, lessons learned are important yeah, lessons learned are very important uh so that yeah we would love to um you know if we could actually get everybody together um cuz we did you know have to do two separate panels but it would be great to to get everybody in if it is a third one, if it's a symposium or whatever it is to expand a little bit, it would be great to uh, do that again. Yeah, for sure. Please let me know. I would love to be a part of it. All right. Great, great. It's time for us to get together again. So much has happened. Yes. 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 And it, and it's almost like, right, you, we look back on it now, but it's like we knew it was historical, but in the context of everything, not seeing people and not being in collaborative spaces for the last two, you know, a couple of years because of the pandemic, it really uh, makes it see- seem even more special um, mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, it, as as we look back on it now. So, right. uh, but glad that you were a part of that, uh, that discussion. Definitely. Yeah. And it, we've um, since interviewed Deborah Davis and she's almost kind of like a generation right before ours. And then Linda Haith, who we did not, who was not able to attend that event. Um, mm-hmm. But we did have her, um, uh, the first licensed African-American woman in Michigan. Nice. But uh, yeah, I would love to get all generations in a, in a, in a room, right. And uh, continue that dialogue. 
Yeah, that would be totally awesome. But there's been um, a great wave of how much has changed in the city, in the state since we've started and actually see the great revitalization of our city and then start to see projects that you worked on in that city. <laughs> you know, c- you know, Kim, what, what do you what do you think now when you uh, drive past places and see things that you actually worked on? It's amazing how many I count, first off, <laughs> and it's just amazing how much the landscape has changed and how beautiful it is. All the green spaces and all of the artwork and all of the modernizing of buildings. I mean, it's all just really amazing. I'm, I'm glad that I'm able to be here and be a part of that revitalization. But it is fun to kind of look around and say, hey, I worked on that or I worked on that. And, and it's in, interesting how manifestation happens because I'll have clients call me and uh, want me to work on a building that I may have walked through before or worked on before. So it's all coming like full circles. That's kind of cool too. It's been great and it's cool. It's yeah. really cool to be able to say I had that much, uh, I had that much influence, well, not influence, but I had, I was able to take my skill and apply it to a lot of these buildings. That is some influence. You have some influence there. <laughs> yeah. well, I try to apply my skill the best I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's even been exciting learning about the spaces and buildings designed by African-American architects. And now, you know, those those spaces are being valued and they're starting to be renovated, right? Mm-hmm. History is not that deep with African-American architects in Michigan, but um, it's nice to see now that it's being appreciated. Mm-hmm. I agree. There are some great spaces around here that's been designed and developed by great architects. I mean, we could sit here and list them, um, but they all did, had great contribution to the city and the built environment. Mm-hmm. Lots of great space and more to come. Yeah. With uh, Kimberly Dokes and Dokes Design Architecture and a lot of the other architects that we've been talking to. Yes, absolutely. We are definitely working, which is a good thing. You know, all great thing. And, and people want to collaborate with us. That's that's the fun part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That project list you said, what did you say for uh, 27 projects? Uh, 20, yeah, 25, 24, 25, 26, somewhere around that. Yeah, that's uh, that's <laughs> yeah. pretty good. For the, uh, that's for enough your to keep you going for a while. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> definitely keeping us busy. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about that a bit? Are all of those in the city of Detroit? Are they all in Michigan? Or are you doing some things outside of Michigan? They are all in Michigan. They are all in Detroit. So, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, they're all in Detroit. I, we don't have any projects outside the city that I can think of. Wow. Which is really cool, yeah. And um, our client base is mostly African-American clients, which is really cool mm-hmm. too. I'm really yeah, grateful that's that great. they trust us enough with their their projects, um, with their budgets. And um, we really try to work hard and work for, work in earnest to uh, give them a great experience in working with us. Yeah, it's it's good. They're all they're all good projects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean it's just it's just exciting with uh, programs such as the uh, Capital Impact EDI program that is really putting together cohorts of Black developers that are coming out into the city. It's a movement that, like I said, is unprecedented. And just to see, you know, you have people come back to their old neighborhoods and really want to make an impact in their old neighborhood and for them to have, uh, you know, come back as a developer to do a block by block, 
you know, revitalization of neighborhoods in Detroit. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's been a lot that's happened the last, what, eight years, 10 years that is manifesting right now that, uh, that is good to see. It is. And it's a unique scenario. Um, I have colleagues in Atlanta and it's not happening the same way there. You know, they Mm -hmm. desire to work together more with developers and um, architects, but they don't have the resources like the the young developers have here in Detroit. So it's, it's a unique scenario. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's good to be a part of that and, and watch all of these young developers do some really great things and have some great vision for good spaces. We got to, we got to, we, we were almost like, we got to make sure we document history that's happening now. I like, I think you, you like to say firms like yours, you know, and you're making history right now. We got to figure out how do we make sure that this doesn't, this story doesn't get right. lost. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to figure. Well, you guys are doing a great job of helping. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we put together a map of the project, and this is actually our second interview with you because we did the uh, interview at the. I think it was the end of last year with the McNichols. Oh yeah. Architects and developers. Right. Right. So, yeah. 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 That that's a great couple blocks of black architects and black developers working together to. Mm-hmm. Revitalize that area. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. We had a, a great, what they said, no more pull up event there at uh, the Detroit <laughs> Pizza Bar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that's a great space. It is. It is. We were on the rooftop and, you know, overlooking, you know, uh, another black development across the street that's breaking mm-hmm. ground and yeah. uh, I could see the project you're working on right, right down the street, uh, you know, getting we near were just completion. talking about having another NOMA pull up and People were saying they're excited for that space to open so we can have one there. Oh, yeah, me too. I'm glad when that happens. <laughs> yeah. So we can enjoy that space. It's, it's been a long uh, project, so everybody's ready for it to open. Yeah, say so construction during the pandemic is taking a little bit normal, longer than normal, but it's coming along. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. almost there with it. We're almost at the finish line. So, yeah, that would be cool. And yeah, that's, be- a, that's a great strip there. That's going to be a great strip. Yeah, it definitely will. I went to a birthday party at uh, Pizza Bar, so it was it was fun. It's yeah, space. it's a great space. The rooftop was really cool. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you want to ask before we leave? Well, I, again, I thank you guys for having me interview here and give my experiences. I pray that it can help someone. And uh, we're going to keep the Black female architecture movement going. Yes, architecture going working with our developers and just create space and do what we like to do yeah looking forward to seeing what 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 comes in the future thank you so much for your contributions to detroit to the design of detroit and your impact on uh all the different areas of detroit because you're doing a lot of work around the city so that's fantastic thank you thank you so much we'll we'll keep working hard for the city that's for sure Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Hidden in Plain Sight, and that's spelled S-I-T-E, we really would appreciate your rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you know someone else who would love it too, please share it with them. If you're looking for more content like this, Hidden in Plain Sight is part of the Gable Media Network. You can find similar shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And before you go, if you haven't already, 
Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on the contributions of our upcoming contemporary and trailblazing architects. Want to learn more about the unknown ladies of architecture? Then I recommend you listen to She Builds Podcast, where we tell the stories of remarkable women who have shaped the design and construction industries. Hi, I'm Jessica. I'm Nurjiti. And I'm Lizzie. After we graduated from Syracuse University School of Architecture, we set out to learn and share the untold stories of women that traditional school curriculum left out. One day, there's an announcement on campus that women had been seen wearing, quote, inappropriate clothing. Gasp. What the heck does that mean? Yeah, so it turns out that Ruth and her fellow classmates were these women. They had field classes where they're doing welding, forging, and foundry work. And obviously they have to wear jeans to those classes instead of like dresses or whatever else. While Gertie was in school, she wasn't just going to classes, trying to stay alive like some of us. I know that was me in school, yep. just taking it day by day, Yes, but not Gertie. She became the president of Evigol, an honorary association of Cornell women architects. Of course she did. These are stories not taught in schools. Women who've molded the world of architecture, construction, and development for over a century. From Jane Jacobs to Ray Eames, She Builds Podcast explores the legacies of trailblazers. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform. Let's fill the gaps in history together. All you have to do is follow the link in the show notes and subscribe and be part of a movement to expand industry narratives.